Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher. I'm Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Paris, pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. And every week we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. So we're going to do that again this week for Reformation Sunday. What? Re.formation.sunday. Dot 500. Dot 500. 1517 to 2017, y'all. 500 years since Martin Luther may or may not have nailed 95 theses to the church door. It's a good time to call it quits, I think. 500 years is a good <laughs> run. It's a good <laughs> it's run. It's been a good run. That is a good run. It's true. Here I stand. I've got other options now. Yeah, so 500th anniversary of Reformation. There is no end to the things that we could talk about. So let's go super local. What what kinds of things are you up to in your your local context as we think about Reformation this year? Uh, well, we've got a brass ensemble and we're reenacting. We're having a whole play in which we're like literally like reenacting the entire uh, Diet of Worms. Um, Verms. Verms. <laughs> Verms. Uh, we're making Scandinavian dishes because that's a part of the Reformation, of course. So fermented fish in lye. Uh, wait, no, we're not doing any of those things. <laughs> uh, we'll observe it and that we'll use the text for it on Sunday night. Uh, and I might talk about it a little bit. The main thing is that on Monday, uh, before the Tuesday of the actual day of reformation, the 31st, we're going to do our public doors project. So we'll go out to the student union and we put up closet doors. And at the top of each is a question or a prompt for students to respond to. And then we've got little pieces of paper and hammers and nails and most importantly, safety glasses uh, for people to wear as they nail their responses to the questions to the top of the doors. So what we've done in the past, we've done prompts like, um, how would you reform the church? Uh, or what would you change about the church? Uh, I don't go to church because, and I'm sure there's another one we came up with, uh, mostly about how you change the church. If you, dear listeners or dear podcast hosts, have any other ideas of what we should ask students, let us know. I'm looking for good ideas. We got a couple days before uh, before I have to decide on my questions. Those are good ones. Right? The doors will then go on tour around the conference to conference congregations and be in like North Texas and stuff throughout the year. What? Have you always done that too? Moss Romanos, but more Moss this year. What's happening to St. Mark's? It's a big day for African descent churches. It is. I mean, um, I mean, as an African descent church, my confirmation students, uh, when I ask them, every time I have a new confirmation class, I say, so anybody know who Martin Luther is? And they're like, the civil rights icon from the 1960s? This happens every single time. Um, I mean, for good reason, right? Like, this is the figure that looms uh, quite large in my students' uh, collective imaginations. And the really uh, fun fact is that I get to then tell them that, no, actually, um, Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, was the guy that Martin Luther King was named for. Because there's this great story about how his dad, Martin Luther King Sr., goes to Germany, visits Germany. Uh, his name was Michael King at the time. He hears the story of Martin Luther, is so inspired that he changes both his name and his son's name to Martin Luther King Jr. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's just like... Is that story so true, I, Matt? Is it true? Is it factual? I think it, I think it is true. Have you heard that it's not true? No, I just it's always worth asking, I think. Especially sure when we talk about true. the Reformation. I'm pretty, I know, it's true. We'll have to check Snopes on that one. But I've heard it um, from so many different sources that I'm inclined to believe that it is true. 
And so for us, like we tend to draw, and I'm especially gonna draw that line this year, I think, you know, the kind of family tree, the, the, the line of history, to draw it from 1517 to 1963, you know, to try to draw some of those lines as well. Um, not just an ethnic line, but um, perhaps a, an approach to theology, an approach to um, the way that John Green ends his um, crash course on Reformation mm. history, where he says this legacy of protest and reform, right? Protest, Protestant, reform, Reformation, and that is a legacy that uh, that continues today. And so that's going to be our theme this year, 500 years of protest and reform, and just kind of think about what that legacy means for us. We did, uh, inspired by your church doors, um, I'm not nearly as crafty with constructing actual doors, but on our chalkboard, uh, we did write the question, what needs to change in the church today? And I love that because it filled up with all kinds of the things that you might predict and, and hope for, like homophobia and racism and all these things. And then someone wrote in really big letters right in the middle, me, and circle it. I like it. <laughs> it was amazing. I loved it. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it's an interesting project, right? Asking people um, what they need to change or what they think needs to change because you don't have, uh, you hope for certain things to, to sort mm-hmm. of like flourish, but you you don't have control over it. And that's kind of, uh, it's good. It's a good exercise. Yeah. I like it. I like it, Matt. I like it. It's a tough one, though. Um, I still think the story, and well, like mm-hmm. one of the challenges I think is that like we don't have a, like, it's not part of our scripture, right? We're not going to preach on like the text of mm-hmm. Luther's story, but it is actually a really good story. Like, there's some great scenes in the story, right. like um, you know the storm when he calls out to Mary's mother. I mean, like he makes Amanda, just like uh, folks who do it to the Virgen of San Juan de los Lagos in Mexico. Uh, he and then he just oh, man. I mean, it's just it's a great little story um, that. Uh, that we could stand to continue telling if we can continue to, I think, draw it to the present day too. So maybe we'll talk more about that. I like it, Matt. <laughs> you also feel ambivalent about the Reformation anniversary, though, don't you? I do feel ambivalent uh, towards why, it. Why do you feel ambivalent? Oh, I mean, partially it's context. Um, yeah. The students in the community that I live and pastor in aren't super Lutheran identifying. Uh, even among those of our students who do really identify as Lutheran, they're not certainly not the majority or the plurality of students in our group. And so, I mean, our students, perhaps many of them come in with maybe less of a connection than some of your like confirmation students might, where I don't get to work with a given, uh, no, uh, a given amount of knowledge about Luther and why it might be important and stuff. So we got to start from the bottom and build it all up. And along the way, it also has to be really compelling why you want to know this. Perhaps if you're Lutheran and understand yourself as Lutheran, right? Like, well, then I need to know this if that's who I am, to know more about who I am. But if I'm Episcopal or Roman Catholic or Methodist or Buddhist, why am I going to invest all this time in learning about this dude in this movement and stuff. Um, as a card-carrying member these days of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, uh, not of its congregations, but of its roster of clergy, um, I think it's compelling. I think there's compelling stuff there. It just doesn't get me going. It's a number. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's another opportunity to maybe no more or less than any other than 501 or 499, but another opportunity to ask that question. Why, why would you want to know this? Why, why is this a story that continues to be worth telling? Um, and to just another, yet another opportunity, not the first or the last one, uh, but to rethink this thing, right. And to, to do the work required. So like, all right, why does this matter? Uh, homiletically, I get a little tired of Reformation Sunday anyway, I think, because it's the same text every year. We don't have three different versions of what to preach on Reformation Sunday. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even by the time that I was in like the parish in my like first call, it felt like, okay, how am I going to figure out, do I have anything new to say this year about Reformation? Or I still like, do I still have the same thing from last year? It's a horse that we've beaten a lot. Uh, so hard to get back up again. So mm. if we weren't going to talk about it for another three years or something, <laughs> I don't know. So it's like, it's like Christmas and Easter. What are you going to say? Yeah, it kind of is like Christmas and Easter. And I mean, the thing I didn't know until I really like, got immersed in these ecumenical contexts, Episcopal churches don't observe Reformation Sunday ever. Um, it's not, they're going to be in green and they're going to use the, the assigned text for the day. Uh, not a day that they're going to observe uh, at all, right? And so to hold the dissonance of, of a tradition that this is not a thing uh, with a tradition that at times has uh, been a little over the top with it, hard to do. I've been too influenced, I think, by, or I've been, been influenced by the Episcopalians. I always kind of just assumed everybody did Reformation Sunday because you're all Protestants, so you should all be grateful to us. <laughs> Well, USC is actually, so like the Christian grad student coordinator guy, um, he announced that they're having this like, oh, it's time for the Reformation. So we're going to do this thing in November and um, we're going to have a, um, there's the Roman Catholic priest uh, who's a big deal. And then the president of Fuller Seminary and they're going to have this conversation. And I'm like, are you serious? You didn't call the Lutheran across the street? Like, was it the president of Fuller Seminary that like, yeah, I know. Bastion of Protestant I mean, thought. Fuller oof. Seminary. Amazing. No offense intended. So, should so we jump into these things? If you came here looking for the best insights into how to really blow out your Reformation party, uh, sorry, not sorry. But if you came here to figure out how to preach something like good and authentic and good news and that you can tie into all of the crap you're doing, that we are not judging in any way. Uh, congratulations, you found the right place. <laughs> Time for the text. That's also the sound of a, some... of a trolley rolling through. Uh, gonna jump out of the way because them trolley dodgers are moving. Moving oh, on. Oh no. Moving on. I, you know, we've been down. We've been down three over four. I'm not. I'm just. I'm okay. You've been I'm down okay. a long time, man. I'm okay. Not a lot. Maybe I'm not okay. consecutive years anymore, but a lot of experience being done. I there. do. The one thing I have zero, you know, a lot of Dodger fans were very supportive of me last year. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be a good sport about it. But the one thing I don't have much empathy for is when they were like, was the Dodgers end their 29 year drought? And I was like, I just no. come back to me when you got a century under your belt. Just no, no sympathy for a 29 year drought. But good luck, good luck. Well, Matt, I've been a Dodger fan for going on eight years, and I've I've never never even tasted the World Series, you know. So some of us have some of us have been journeying through the wilderness, Matt, and and we're we're standing on the banks. We're not all high and mighty like 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 some of your Cubs fans drunk off of the new wine, 
poured out. Uh, uh, we just, uh, we got our leader, we got MV Puig, and, and we're hoping that he doesn't die uh, here in the next couple weeks. I think it's time for the text. T I gotta get out of this. T for T. So um, we are the la we are in the last story here from our Exodus narrative. Um, I've got so I am using um, the text assigned for the semi-continuous readings in the time after Pentecost. Yes, it is uh, Reformation Sunday, but you do have a choice uh, of the texts that you use, even if you do want to celebrate. You got your freedom. Yeah, you got freedom. You got freedom to choose. So I'm sticking with that. Um, although I do think it will have some Reformation themes, as we still see. But um, Deuteronomy 34, 1 to 12, we've moved past the book of Exodus. What? Uh, but here is the death and of Moses. And we skipped 35 chapters of Deuteronomy. <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> um, Deuteronomy uh for y'all that don't know, so um, Dan Erlander's Man in Mercy kind of describes Deuteronomy as like the commencement address as the Israelites are getting ready to graduate uh, into the promised land, which is a nice little, for my confirmation students, it's like mm -hmm. this nice little way of thinking about it. Um, they would find it helpful and explains why it repeats all kinds of things that we already heard about. Um, but here it is, the death of Moses. Um, Moses, it's this, um, I mean, it's a poignant little story Moses is going to get to the edge of the promised land he's going to get to the edge of the river but he's not going to cross and God says this is God points he shows him the land he points across the river and he says look here's the land that I swore to your ancestors I, um, saying I'll give it to your descendants and Moses I've let you see it with your eyes but you shall not cross over there and so Moses Moses dies um, Joshua is lifted up as the successor and then there's this little eulogy for Moses, and that's it. Wow. I know, right? Good news abounds. Good news abounds. I think, I mean, one piece of good news is that it's a very true to life, right? I mean, here's Martin Luther King, who we referenced earlier, mm -hmm. uh, kind, of references, kind of references this story in one of his last sermons where he says, I may not get, you, get there with you, right? I may not get there with you. Um, and if you want to cite um, that oft-quoted that is often attributed to Oscar Romero, but probably didn't write it, that we're prophets of the future, not our own, that we work on things that we're never going to see the full fruition of, right? Um, and that's true. That's a, that's a true thing and can be a liberating thing to, to realize. I also think it's a really helpful thing for, if you wanted to use this for Reformation Sunday, um, to think about how we, on the one hand, yes, um, eulogize and remember and celebrate um, this person and this thing that happened, um, but also that Reformation um, involves a, a, a death too, right? Reformation to change something. Uh, here's my little alliterative thing. Reformation requires relinquishment. <laughs> that to change means that we also have to let go of something. Um, there's death and resurrection involved. If we really want to be semper reformanda, um, there's a death and resurrection that mm. takes place. Yeah. Uh, almost, almost, yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder if a profitable part of, of the Luther canon uh, that you could spend some time on is Luther's death. I don't think it's as well known. Uh, it's certainly not as well known among, among folks. We, we know all the really dramatic, compelling stories of the early part of his life. Uh, and if you get into some of his readings, he thought he was going to die at Worms. He, uh, in his, uh, with no, somehow Luther is really incredible in his ability to hold 
great humility and incredible bravado all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the most, you can see the Paul in there, right? I am the most humble among you. But he started, right? He writes comparing like his his uh, journey into worms as his like journey into Jerusalem. It's his Palm Sunday. He's going to die. He's going to go up on the cross and have this dramatic death. But that's not what happens, right? He dies a really unremarkable death. That uh, <laughs> um, the death part itself doesn't m- mean that much, right? Um, yeah. He doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Of, this is probably not preaching appropriate, right? But like Dr. King. The death of Dr. King is a really compelling part of the story that that Dr. Mm-hmm. King gave his life as a part of the movement. And Luther doesn't get that, right? For all this stuff that he started, he doesn't... Um... Well, and in part, I mean, if you really want to go, <laughs> that's really uh, kick some dirt on Luther's grave. I mean, in part, <laughs> he's not, he doesn't get that because he has powerful friends. Like, he makes these compromises so that, so that mm-hmm. he ends up being protected mm-hmm. um, by pretty powerful people. His, when he... Um, kicks the peasants uh, when they're in the rebellion and, and says that, yeah, go ahead and torture and kill them. Um, it's because he wants to be in the good graces of the princes. I mean, right? sure, we could be like, oh, we actually believe that. But he also, like, made these compromises that then resulted in his own protection. Um, that's also part of our legacy, right? He's a complex figure. Anyway, you were talking about death. Yeah, no, I like it, right? And so the other comparison there it would be the Moses uh, death. Moses' death, not that... I mean, it's in some ways grand, but it's not. It's a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, I mean, he's not uh, assassinated by an agent of Pharaoh, right? That has no. followed them through the wilderness. Right? Wouldn't that have been a better story, though? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, it would have been exciting, the drama. I would have made it through all the chapters of Deuteronomy to get there if I knew that there was a payoff coming. But he just <laughs> keels over, I guess. Right? <laughs> so I think it's worth thinking about... Um, Hey, here's some good news for you and your Reformation Sunday. What needs to die in our church? Yeah. What needs to die in the church? And um, for me, I know this is like a horse that I've been uh, riding pretty hard lately, but uh, trying to make, you know, what what is the most compelling issue that, that one of, what are the most compelling issues that we face in 2017? Um, and one of those for me continues to be uh, racism and structural racism. So what would it mean for our, if you're preaching in a white context, What does it mean for us to relinquish our white supremacy? What does it mean to relinquish some of those things and then make that concrete, right? What kinds of things need to die? What kinds of things do we need to let go of? Uh, That might be a fun Reformation sermon. Good luck, preacher. (laughs) Everybody's going to be happy and excited. Uh, What you really want to do is bring them back down to to earth, or as I like to call it, the cross. (laughs) Bring them down to the cross. Sorry, Christians. Bring him down. So I've got a good, can I give you a death and resurrection? Uh, yeah, story? yeah. So this was, uh, I mean, it's not really a good, it's just a, here's the thing that happens. It's not really death uh, and so resurrection. Was, it's kind of a story. When I was, when I was at the Brew Boldly retreat, we were talking about the Apostles' Creed, right? And folks, uh, you know, some folks that have not read the Creed in a while, looking at it with some fresh eyes, one of the, one of the critiques that you often get is, hey, why doesn't the Creed talk more about Jesus' life? And like, all the good stuff that he did on earth. It kind of goes from his birth right to his death. And of course, like my response, like I was trying to moderate the conversation. So I felt like I couldn't just jump in with my opinion right away, but I'm always kind of like, really? I mean, it's not like, I mean, you could come up with some easier, like 
moral exemplars. Like he kind of, he told some really weird parables. <laughs> even if he did it, even if he did a healing, like he usually accompanied with like something really weird and mysterious that he'd say afterwards. Like it's not really cut and dry. It's not like mm. oh, it's so much easier to understand his life. Are you kidding me? Have you read it lately? <laughs> anyway. That's my um, I like it. I like that's it. Unhe- that's my unhelpful response. The helpful response came from the church member that I had brought with me. I brought a single church member with me into this retreat, and he raises his hand in the circle and says, "Well, um, it does talk about Jesus' death and resurrection, um, and so aren't we joined to Christ's death and resurrection in baptism, and thereby joined into the work that He does in the world?" <laughs> And I was like, that's my church member. Yes. Yes. Death and resurrection. It is a baptismal image. Yes. Pastor of the very, year right here. It was very, right. It was very If you were listening, LS2C alumni board. <laughs> right. I think there's some stuff here. I mean, you just, you know, you preach, you teach, you just, you hope somebody's listening. Mm-hmm. Very rarely will somebody tell you, hey, I really appreciated the way you talked about baptism today. Like nobody, like nobody says no. that. But and if they do, while, they're going to say, the, they're going to follow it up with something heretical. <laughs> oh, but it was beautiful. I so, like how um, you said that we can always be rebaptized. <laughs> <laughs> so think about that too. I mean, if you want to, um, if just the death alone is bringing you down too much, make this a baptismal thing. Think mm-hmm. about the relationship of our our baptism and our return again and against the waters, not to be rebaptized, uh, but to remember our baptisms and think about that in your reformation uh, reflections too. I like that's it. what I got. I like that's it, man. You set me up beautifully. Um, we are while you have been fairly continuous, except for the, the, the whole part of skipping the 34 chapters of Deuteronomy, uh, I'm going to do you one better, and we're going to jump completely out of the narrative at all, and we're going to jump out of the synoptics where we've been over in Matthew, and we're jumping all the way to John, to the 8th chapter of John. Uh, and man, when I prepared today uh, for the podcast, it's just startling how different the writing is uh, in John uh, when I've been so immersed in Matthew narrators who have like point of view it's really really something so we find ourselves in the eighth chapter of john and basically what we've got here is um is a trial a rap battle if you will uh and with jesus is going back and forth with kind of temple authorities um and jesus said to the judeans uh a way you might step around uh, some of the anti-semitism uh, who had believed in him. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, We are descendants of Abraham who have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet you look for an opportunity to kill me. Whew. Because there is no place in you for my word. Again, getting heavy here at the end. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, freight being carried. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. Uh, the gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. Wow, Matt, there's a lot 
in this very short thing. Uh, one of the more obvious points that gets made is that Jesus uh, is talking to them about freedom, and they say, well, we've been, uh, we're sons of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone, which uh, we know as we've been reading along in the semi-continuous is patently false. Uh, <laughs> just historically not true, the historicity of that does not add up. It's like, um, uh, it might be like Luther nailing stuff to the door, if you want to make that comparison. Um, <laughs> um, and so you've got that angle in which you can go at it, that it's just, just like stark denial of reality. But the social scientists have an interesting uh, take on it. And that is that perhaps, certainly less than it is shocking to us, the idea of slavery and freedom is not an like an abstract idea. It's a reality of daily life, that there are slaves and there are free people. But in addition to free and slaves, there are freed people. Um, hmm. And there that there was a clear social stratification where slaves are on the bottom uh, and free people are on the top. But in the middle, below free people are freed people, slaves who have been made free. And so for Jesus to, to tell these people who have never been slaves in their lifetime, very literally, that they will be made free is an insult. Uh, it drags them down, down, a, down a run on the, the social ladder there. And so I think that gives it a little added dimension there. Hmm. Yeah. The other part of that same sort of sentence that is important is here in, in this little section of John, we get a clear window uh, into how folks thought about themselves and how they understood their identity. And their understanding of identity was tied first and foremost based on your genealogy. And so the character of what you did, the substance of your life, uh, reflected your genealogy. And so that's part of what's really troubling about Jesus is that Jesus has a very really unremarkable genealogy. Uh, Jesus comes from Nazareth, from Galilee, which is not an honorable place, and yet he seems to have, be able to do these acts of uh, great honor. And so people are always trying to figure out who, where's he really from? A lot you could play with there with race stuff, right? Like, yeah, 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 you're from... Yeah, you're from uh, from here, but where are you really from? People are uncomfortable uh, with the two dissonant things that Jesus puts together. And so when these folks claim that Abraham is their ancestor, they're claiming the, the honor that comes with it. And Jesus puts on full display uh, the tension that's within them. Uh, if Abraham is this great honorific dude, uh, why are you trying to kill me again? Because that doesn't seem like that's a part of Abraham's deal. Uh, and so it's just, just, he's just spitting fire at them. It's a diss track, just like, like we were talking to Tim Brown. Um, not only is he uh, suggesting that they might be of a lower social status, that they might be freed people rather than free people. There's a D, that's the difference there. But that um, maybe you're not actually descendants of Abraham. Uh, you don't seem to be acting like that. So, good news. Uh, Got to find it in here. Uh, and here's what I think it is, right? I think that the good news in this story, the good news for us on this Reformation Sunday, is the freedom that comes from being liberated from who we have been. Abraham, it's important to remember that while, while the, the temple authorities here lift Abraham up as, as an impeccable figure, it was not an impeccable figure. Um, Abraham... Uh, 
right, passed Alcera as his sister, tried to pass Alcera as his sister uh, to some other men so that they could get through safely, making compromises, just like Luther. Uh, Abraham, we know because he's uh, an ancestor of even Moses, doesn't make it to the promised land. He's an incomplete, uh, in that sense, right, he has this incomplete, like, uh, the promise is not fulfilled in Abraham, right? Right. Um, and so I think the good news that Jesus is proclaiming is that you don't have to be who your ancestors were. Yeah. Um, you're not defined by them, but you are defined principally by who God has made you to be. And I think that's really good news. I um, I recently did my, my DNA genealogy. Have I talked about that on the podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so guess what? Dear listeners, Matt, get ready. Uh, guess how white I am. <laughs> A little. So I'm, I'm just north of of 99% white Northern <laughs> European. Uh, there's a less than 1% of my DNA that seems to correlate with being from Oceania. Uh, but that's as weird as it gets. Uh, and it's like pinpoint, it's crazy. It's pinpoint accurate of the places that I know from like my genealogy that, that uh, where uh, my distant ancestors immigrated to the United States from, like the little corner of France that's Germanic over there uh, is like the hottest point on my heat map. And there's no variety wow. at all, right? Uh, if you saw John Oliver a couple weeks ago, he has this fantastic segment on the Confederacy, uh, and he shows a bunch of clips of that Henry Louis Gates uh, Roots show on PBS when people yeah. learned that their ancestors were slaveholders. Uh, and it's so great, this piece on the Confederacy, because it's it's about identity and what we do with knowing that our ancestors were not... I don't think we assume that our ancestors were all amazing people. Maybe we do. Um, but we probably don't assume that our ancestors were real jerks, right? Like, we're really bad people. Uh, there's a great clip in the, in the Oliver piece where Anderson Cooper learns that one of his distant relatives was killed in a slave rebellion and was beaten to death with a garden hoe. And, and Anderson Cooper responds by like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, some of our ancestors were bad enough people that, like, our response when they're beaten to death with a garden hoe is, wow, he probably deserved it, you know? Um, uh, I've talked a little bit before about how uh, a part of my ancestry and genealogy goes back to Salem and uh, where my ancestors were directly involved in burning uh, alleged witches. Uh, so uh, is that who I have to be, right? Um, and I think there's real good news here, especially for those of us who see the Reformation and the history, the heritage of the Reformation as incredibly, is not an inherent good, but a checkered thing. Yeah, I think that's helpful. I mean, how to, it is really odd. The way that I think that we still continue to talk about Luther, I mean, like, it's amazing. I've been using this thing in the small catechism and reading the textbook and, uh, this textbook that Augsburg put out. Um, and it's good. Like, a lot of it is good. But I'm kind of amazed still at how often people will, like, bend over backwards to, like, well, this is what Luther really meant. It's this awesome thing. And it's like, you know, you don't have to, like, it's not like the gospel came from him. Like, <laughs> right? he, he was able to shine a light on this thing that we needed to see again. Okay, great. But, like, it didn't come from him. Like, that's not, that wasn't the source. And, uh, and we do have to kind of rediscover that. I wonder if you like took this passage and said, what? We're descendants of Luther. Like, how do you um, kind of put yourself back in that place of like thinking that you've got the answer? Like here, there's this moment of like celebration that we have. Uh, hey, we're Lutherans. Like we got it figured out. We're going to like celebrate. 
And Jesus is like, no, no, like you also need to rediscover grace. You need to rediscover mm-hmm. what faith looks like. Even as descendants of whoever we are descendants of, we have to rediscover these things. I love verse 37 here, Matt. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet you look for the opportunity to kill me. And here's the kicker. Because there is no place in you for my word, which on one hand is incredibly cold. But I also think that, that the, the converse might be actually be true. That there is no room in us for this word, but there is room for us in that word. We have to die, right? It's a perfect cruciform kind of way to do it. The things that we think are essential about who we are, the glorious and the inglorious. When we hold on to all that stuff, there's not room for the word, but there is room for us in the word. At least it seems like the opportunity for a really powerful turn of phrase if you set it up correct. I think so. If you set it up correctly. I'm also like, as I'm reading, so the, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And my like follow up question is, well, what is the truth? Mm. Which is what Pilate, which is what Pilate is going to ask in this same gospel, right? Like 10 chapters later, he says, what is truth? If you want to kind of follow that truth line through the gospel, I mean, this is kind of the, that's the hemming and hawing that we do, right? That we want to do. Um, what does Jesus re- say? <laughs> what does he say? Uh, what does he say to Pilate? Yeah. I think he just, I think it's like a rhetorical question. Yeah. Like Pilate leaves it hanging and then he goes in and does stuff. Wow, that is a, strange. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I was just looking at it. That's... So anyway, it's like, it's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, if you're uh, if you if you're in need of material this week, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, there's a rabbit hole to chase. I mean, and you kind of got it right. Like I, I don't know. I think you got to kind of tie the. Well, I think for many of us too. Like we had a conversation with our our high schoolers a couple weeks ago about like well, what would it, what would make it hard for you to like. So Luther does this. Here I stand. You know, and we're gonna really oversimplify it and say he stands for what's right. And what would make it hard for you to like stand up for what's right? Right. And we said like, I talked through all these different things and. That is one of them, right? That we're like, well, I'm not really sure which, like, this side seems good and this side seems good too. And I don't know, like, we could sit and, like, analyze it. And, and you can ask, you know, what is truth? Like, that, that, that was my honest, like, literal, like, oh, well, that would be awesome if I just knew what the truth was. <laughs> you just tell me that good news statement every week, just deliver it in the mail. Uh, if I didn't have to do any digging for it. Just subscribe to the but podcast. <laughs> but I think um, sticking your claim on truth is also, like, a way of thinking about living by faith, right? Um, but Luther says in faith alone. And so you, even though you, you like, you stake your claim, even though you might be wrong. And what does that mean to live by faith alone? So there you are again with a the Reformation theme. I mean, there's, there's something to be said here, I think, for the phenomenon of, to become a little bit emotionally callous here, uh, the phenomenon of uh, stars and greatness that die too soon, that uh, Lynn Bias will always be this great, <laughs> wow, you were hoping for a Lynn Bias reference on this podcast. Um, Bill, Bill Simmons is really excited. Right Bill now. is very excited about this. Um, but like a Jimmy, we did. We 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 haven't. We will never see Jimi Hendrix uh, at seventy five on a tour, uh, cashing out, right? Um, and so it remains this picture of greatness that, that Nirvana or Kurt Cobain. We don't have to endure a, a, a Foo Fighter ish like. 20 years from Kurt Cobain, we just get, uh, never mind, is all the only thing we remember, uh, it's all we had. Um, that in some respects, Luther lived too long. 
<laughs> right? He would have been perfect if he had just right, died at Worms. Uh, he had this moment of great vulnerability. He did stand that one time, incredibly vulnerable, and then kind of makes his living off of that moment. But it's not a moment that he continues in uh, as, as you lift it up, right? Um, and that's a part of our challenge, I think, is the, how do we continue to walk in that truth? So, what are you listening to as you figure that out? Matt, have I yeah. got good stuff this week for the playlist? <laughs> um, freedom is the big deal this week, and so we got a thematic theme over here. A thematic theme, unlike your unthematic themes, of freedom. Uh, last week, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've done a great disservice to the music community by ignoring um, Tom Petty, uh, who recently died and, and who I'm amazed lived this long. Because when I saw him in 2001, <laughs> I was pretty sure he was already dead. Uh, this is a very emotionally calloused episode. You, oh, you, man, that was, that's one of my great regrets. I've not seen Tom Petty. It seems like I had plenty of opportunities. It was good. We snuck my brother in. I've got a good story about yeah, it. I was in so. high school. Uh, they had just, uh, we were in the early days of, of, of ticketing. <laughs> and so we bought three tickets and my brother wanted to come at the last minute. And so we went with me and my two friends and we went to pick up the tickets at Will Call and we had to sign the receipt on, they printed the receipt on a ticket and they handed it to us. And so we're like, look, it was four tickets. And so we gave my brother the ticket that was not a ticket, just the receipt. And we go to the gate and we all get through and my brother was last and they just looked at him like he was stupid and let him through. And then later on, we figured out that we didn't have to. If you got a time machine, that's how you sneak into a Tom Petty concert in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's amazing. It's excellent. But the Tom Petty song to listen to this week, of course, is Free Falling. Uh, You are set free for the things that have held you back. Um, Whether you're a good girl, uh, crazy about Ellis, you don't have to be anymore. There's a new future that is waiting, that is holding us. (laughs) Boom. Fantastic. Yeah, I really, I was was really hit by Tom Petty's. Like, you know. It was like in my community, like Prince was a really big deal in my church community. So like, I understood that. I felt like I had empathy and I kind of rediscovered Prince. And then um, David Bowie, I like understood intellectually, like why he mattered, right? Like I understood intellectually, but like Tom Petty was like, holy, like I remember when these songs, these songs on the radio, like this is as a white guy, like this is the soundtrack of my life, my my young white person life. <laughs> what? It was, I don't know, it's a big, it's crazy. Yeah. I, uh, a phenomenon that the world will not see again is that much of my musical youth, uh, my most formative musical years, uh, were most influenced by the Columbia uh, Music Club thing, right? Uh, yeah. We, I mean, I lived so far out, there weren't music stores. Like, there wasn't, like, <laughs> The only place to buy music in town was Walmart, and they only sold clean versions of things. So so what you did, right, you joined the music club for like a penny is the deal, and yeah. they sent you like 12 or 16, 15 CDs uh, with the idea that you'd have to buy like one a month for however long and 
contracts weren't binding with under with the minors, so you just until you're 18, you could do whatever you wanted, and they just send you free CDs, and your parents occasionally would pay for them, um, and get you out of the contract. Uh, but one of the earliest ones I got was the greatest hits of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, um, yeah. and so that was one of the again hard for for young folks to to realize uh, the impact that album had because uh, all we had were these albums, so you just listen to it right. over and over and over again, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so I probably know like the words by heart to every song on that album like american girl uh and they're really it's really good stuff man they're really good last dance with mary jane mm. oh my gosh and it's kind of amazing because like he like he started more like the 70s mm-hmm. i think right like really his first long career Influential. but i remember like yeah like i remember being in high school and like he was cool right like he had like yeah. a couple of like a couple new songs like last dance with mary jane there are a couple from the wildflowers album and he was like cool he was considered cool yeah. even though like he'd stayed in the 70s and I, it's hard for me to think of like another artist um i can think of other artists that like come back around and have respect but like not in that same like he's cool kind of thing right he had that renaissance like a perfectly timed for us i think uh in the 90s yeah. that yeah where he was like legit cool and like yeah. i mean you could be kind of like ironically cool with led zeppelin and stuff uh but <laughs> But he was, they weren't legitimately cool, like... Yeah, no, it's totally true. I've, so I've been listening to a ton of Tom Petty, especially last week. And then sometimes I'll tell my Alexa to just play some music for me. And mm. so she, she was playing... She just started playing, like, some Elton John because now she thinks that I'm a person that's just into music from the 70s. <laughs> and, so, and so Chris walks in the room and she goes, did Elton John die? <laughs> I was like, no. And she goes, oh, well, you just have been listening to him a lot. <laughs> we should we should also consider a podcast where we have a daily rant or a weekly rant about how music algorithms are still not perfect at all. Uh, and they don't understand how I think about music in any way. Uh, like, it's, it's like digital music. This is why this is the vinyl preacher, right? Digital music, as we all know, uh, reduces music to a series of ones and zeros. Uh, which was a better, more enduring form of music than uh, tapes, right? Uh, but anytime you take music and stick it into an algorithm, you're cutting off the edges, right? The the imperfections, the small things that I see and like that are connected for me, and you just like, it's always imperfect, always imperfect, always imperfect, and sanit- oh in a sanitized way. It's disgusting. It's disgusting, <laughs> Matt. But I do have a new song uh, to put on the podcast. There is good stuff. Um, you know, uh, there's actually Free Girl Now, another Tom Petty song you could have put on there. You could have put Freedom exclamation point 90 uh, from George Michael. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, Rage Against the Machine, if you're into that kind of stuff, has a Freedom song. Um, but I got two more I'm going to sneak in. Uh, oh, I was singing it coming in. Pharrell Williams, Freedom, really good. We're talking about identity uh, and having your identity be freed from your genealogical uh or philosophical ancestors. Your first name is free, last name dumb. We choose to believe in where we're from. Matt, where are we from? We're pointing back to Eden, a place we will never get, like our good friend Moses, right? Uh, The promised land is where we're from, and it's where we're going. Even though we may not get there, we choose to believe in that, uh, that that has made us who we are, not these anti-Semitic forebears of ours. It's good. It's a really really good uh, video, too, for that. Really good. Very dramatic. The way that something does to it, like, it's just it's got a good mm. drama to it. Yeah. From heat, the electric one, does it shock you to see he left us the sun? Atoms in the air, organisms in the sea, the sun, and yes, man, are made of the same things. Woo! Woo! Pharrell. Pharrell. Yeah. Pharrell. One of 
the greatest gosh. pop theologians of our time. Uh, finally, though, Matt, we're going to go back to the 70s. Uh, actually, late 80s. Uh, and Neil Young, off of the album called Freedom, uh, Keep on Rockin' in the Free World, uh, a critique oh. of the George H.W. Bush uh, regime that had just started. Also, the yeah. anthem, as walls were torn down and the, uh, the statues of our past uh, were falling across Eastern Europe. Yeah, what do we need to tear down uh, that Neil yeah. Young and company tore down in the late 80s? I like it. Right. What should I throw out there? So, um, yeah, I've got a Tom Petty song, too. You know, if we're talking about the death of Moses, I guess it's good to talk about a recently deceased artist, uh, Tom Petty. I'm going to throw out uh, Time to Move On, which is a deeper cut from mm. the Wildflowers album. It is the song uh, that I would play. <laughs> my, my brother's family recently moved from one house to another, and the new house is like 15 minutes away from the old house. But um, as they were packing up their old house, they were like, how do you guys do this? So how did, how, how did you guys do this, right? Like, we did so many times in seminary. Um, and, uh, and I was like, man. You guys like, haven't even moved since you've been to L.A. You're so stable crazy. now. It's kind of insane, yeah. But the song that I'd always play, like whether we're moving from Bloomington or from Chicago or from Mexico or from Seattle, this is Tom Petty, Time to Move On. Even from Balpo, I think, was when I first played it. Mm. It was from Balpo. And it's, uh, it's crazy. It's just these deceptively simple lyrics, but the way that the, the rhythm kind of moves, like the rhythm, like the song feels like it's moving like a, like a train that's, that's speeding up. Um, time to move on, time to get going. What lies ahead, I have no way of knowing, but under my feet, the grass is growing. It's time to move on, time mm. to get going. And when you play that, and uh, particularly when you are literally moving on, uh, it's a good, man, it's like, I wrote some songs, you know? Like I wrote some songs. Time to move on, and I think it's a good you one. You don't have to live <laughs> like a refugee. That could work this week too, man. It could. Are you moving could, into yeah. the land? So, so many, so many could work. So, um, there's your, there's your Reformation hymn of the day. Uh, hey, Lutherans, time to, to move, move on. on. <laughs> 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 so there you go. There you go. Um, I found the title more. of this week's podcast. <laughs> Time to move on your 500th anniversary Reformation podcast. Oh, so um, speaking of Pharrell, uh, so I also subscribe to this podcast uh, competitor with ours called, called Song Exploder, where mm. these artists take apart their songs and talk about how they were made. And this one by Maggie Rogers called Alaska, which I never heard on the radio or anything. I just like heard it on this podcast. And it actually blew up about a year ago because Pharrell heard it. And there's this like YouTube video of Pharrell like hearing this song for the first time and being like blown away by this grad student who wrote this song. Um, but it's Maggie Rogers and the song is called Alaska. And it's kind of about she goes on this walk. Um, and the kind of chorus is I walked, I walked off you um, and I walked off an old me. Ooh. Uh, and it's a nice little chat. And it's, it's kind of a cool little pokey, but also like with some techno sounds. And it's a good little song. Um, so Maggie Rogers, Alaska. And then if we're thinking about, um, if you've got 1517 to 2017 and 2017, a song that Chance the Rapper put on a playlist uh, recently by an artist called Saba, S-A-B-A. And the song is called Church Slash Liquor Store. Mm. And it's uh, that kind of chorus is like, he's like, I feel like church, liquor store, funeral home. It's kind of like he's walking down the street in this um uh, basically like the kind of environment where my church is. And so it feels very, mm. it feels very of my context and of the time that we're living in. There's a lot in there about um, prisons and pipelines. 
And I think that if you're going to talk about uh, Reformation and what it means today, then I want you to be speaking to Saba and what he has to say in this song. So listen to this song and then write your Reformation sermon. <laughs> I like it, man. Um, I have a question, Matt. Yeah. I don't know if it would do great on, it's not going to do great on a door or on a chalkboard, but I think it's a, if you've got, we have found it to be a helpful question, a difficult question in our context. Um, but but perhaps around uh, Reformation Sunday, you might find time to explore it in your communities. Uh, and that is, what makes a Protestant a Protestant? How do you know you're a Protestant? Especially in like the challenge that I have to, to our students is you can't answer it with a negative. Not Roman so, Catholic is not a good enough answer. So I actually get that question in like a different way that my confirmation students, and maybe this is an LA thing or West thing or what, but um, they say, are we Catholic or Christian? Mm -hmm. Because for them, like the word, we don't usually use the word Protestant. And in my context, it's like Catholic or Christian, which is really weird and almost borderline offensive, like when I hear it, but it is the language that gets, that gets used. Right. Um, and so, yeah. I don't know. Can I ask the question that way? Yeah. <laughs> How do you know you're a Protestant? You got anything else, man? That's all I got. Although I'm using your verse for, for my good news. I really like the truth will make you free. Yeah. No, that works. Go with that. There's a lot to a lot to work with there, a lot of directions you can go and things to explore. Uh, all right then, Matt, let's, uh, let's conclude the podcast uh, by celebrating uh, what happens tomorrow, a holiday in, in our homes. Because uh, tomorrow's opening tip of the NBA season, Matt, um, and I have a problem. Okay. What's, what's the problem? Here's what I need help with, okay? I... Um, so historically, I bought League Pass for the Hornets because uh, I like the Hornets. I'm a Hornets fan. I can never not be a Hornets fan. I'm sorry, Jesus. Uh, you're not going to strip that identity away from me. Decided not to get the season pass this year because I have my parents' Fox login, which gives me regional Fox, and I can just see all their games that way. Uh, so I did that. But I'm kind of excited about the Nuggets this year, and I don't know how to watch. I know there's no, like... Uh, I kind of looked into because they're on the regional, local, regional sports thing. You can't get them on the league pass because they're blackout restricted in, in my area. Uh, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm either going to have to figure out how to like regularly access illegal streams um, or break down and get like a regional sports thing and see if I can find a cheap version of that. But they're going to be good and fun. The Joker, <laughs> Jokic, <laughs> and Paul Millsaps, Jamal Murray. They're Gary Harris. They've got some good players if they had a point guard. They did just sign Richard Jefferson, uh, who's also a podcast host like us. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I also um, canceled my League Pass subscription recently. Oh, I yeah? Just, my bulls are too depressing right now. <laughs> yeah, no, you should. I was going to say, you should get League Pass for the Nuggets, and then we'll set up like a VPN where we can, I can get in and... <laughs> that's not a bad idea. <laughs> If we knew more about computers, cough, cough, email us at tinypanelclub at gmail.com. Um, if you have any questions or comments. You can usually get, I feel like I might be able to get my NBA fix. Like, you can usually stream TNT. Like, yeah. um, you can see all the good stuff. And, yeah, so you can at least get a few games. And with uh, with little ones, there's just, there's even less time. <laughs> mm. I love my children, listeners. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to go be a pastor. 
All right. Go be a pastor. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been real. Fun.